So what this is reminding me is of something I guess I've been doing and I didn't realize it is I found all the replacement beverages. So now I get pissed if there's not LaCroix in my fridge because I yes. realize I just like the bubbly. <laughs> <That's me. laughs> Welcome to the Finding Your Shine podcast, hosted by best friends, Nina Boyce and Liz Garster. Enjoy a dose of Monday motivation each week as we interview people lighting up the communities of health and wellness, spirituality, and personal growth. Wherever you are on your journey to health, happiness, and self-love, our real and authentic conversations with guests will keep you inspired and empowered. And keep you laughing too. Thanks for listening. We're honored to join you in finding your shine. Hello, Finding Your Shine. Um, Today, we're actually hearkening back to our wine and shine days and talking about alcohol, but in a different way. In a different light. Um, Yeah. So we are really excited. We've been wanting for a long time to talk about, um, you know, I think Nina and I at various times have decided not to drink alcohol in one way or another, either for like periods of time, or I recently have found that if I have literally more than one drink, the next day I have like extreme anxiety and I'm super grouchy. So like, I think we've kind of had our own journeys in, in drinking and learning what works for us. Um, and today we're really, really excited to have someone on to talk about what it looks like to live a sober lifestyle, but in a wellness space that's not, you know, AA, like you might think for when you've hit a rock mm-hmm. bottom of some kind. Yeah, it's for the girl that is really feeling like alcohol isn't serving their life anymore. And maybe they don't look like that typical person that needs to say, I'm not drinking because I'm an alcoholic for lack of a better term. It's the person that's like, I just, I'm choosing not to drink because it doesn't serve my lifestyle anymore. And so this conversation gives you a lot of practical ways to manage that. And a lot of replacement habits too, I think, to help you get through the non-drinking hump. Definitely. So we are talking with Kate B today. She is the founder of the Sober School. And like us, you know, she grew up in this era of like sex in the city and this glamorized drinking. And she was a journalist, which she talks about being a pretty alcohol heavy industry, like lots of networking, kind of boozing sort of situation. So she just over time, you know, realized that she kind of fell in that gray area where she was tired of using alcohol to be that person that she wanted to be from like a confidence level. She was tired of feeling hungover. She was tired of feeling like she drank more than the average person. And then she really, after going to AA and finding that that just wasn't the level, I don't want to say the level she was at, but a different place that she was at. So she kind of started her own, her own resource for women to help them go through this exact same thing. And um, it's a coaching program that she offers. If anyone gets any value from this episode and wants to pursue that and have accountability and have a community, I highly encourage that you check out her program. So we'll talk about that and lots of other stuff related to our relationship with Alpha. Before we hop into this episode, we do want to remind you that we both are active on social medias and are promoting our own coaching programs, which we're really, really proud of. So if you are interested in learning more about your holistic health, whether that be anxiety, hormones, or gut health, come on over and follow my Instagram at Nourished with Nina. And I'm also going to be launching my six-week group program here on April 29th and would love to have some of my Finding Your Shine listeners in it. 
And if you are interested in financial coaching and getting your money in order and feeling really good and strong and prepared with all of that, go ahead and follow Liz on Instagram at Liz Garster and you can get more information there. Yes, she, I will speak in the third person now, is actively trying to post more in the near future. So expect more content soon. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. We can't wait to jump into this episode talking all about alcohol with Kate B. Hey, Kate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. The subject we're about to talk about is something that me and Liz have been wanting to discuss for a while now, and it just was fate that you popped into our inbox asking to be on the show, and we're like, oh my goodness, this means that we have to discuss this topic with our listeners. So before we hop into alcohol and reducing it and all of that good stuff, tell us how you got to this line of work and a little bit about yourself. Cool. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I love it how these things always work out and you, you you find the right people at the right time. Well, like many people working in this industry, uh, in the wellness space, I got into it all through my own experience. And yeah, I have a business called The Sober School. I help women to stop drinking alcohol, kind of does what it says on the tin. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it all came about because of my own experience. I was, I was always one of those people who loved drinking. As a teenager, it turned me into the kind of confident person that I wanted to be, who could talk to boys and dance at parties and do all those things I wanted to do. And then my drinking just kind of escalated throughout my 20s as I went to uni and then got a job. I worked in journalism, which is a notoriously boozy industry. And as you can tell, I'm English as well. So we love drinking a lot. (laughs) And the problem I had um, forever really was that I had this very fixed idea of what a problem drinker looked like. And in my mind, it was you kind of rock bottom alcoholic who's swigging you know, like cheap alcohol out of a bottle in a brown paper bag has lost everything. And that was what I thought problem drinking looked like. So as I wasn't that, and I was still, you know, turning up for work every day and I had a roof over my head and a lot of other responsibilities that I was, you know, sticking to, I think that kept me stuck for a really long time. And I felt as if there was no help out there for me someone like me who's kind of stuck in the gray zone. Yeah, to cut a really long story short, the Sober School kind of came about because I wanted to help other women who fell into that same gray zone kind of middle path and and to show people that, yeah, guess what? You can stop drinking and your life is not going to be over. You're still going to have fun and it can be the best thing you've ever done. So I'm curious, I know like, and I know AA, like that wasn't something that called to you, like that particular program that's out there that's helped a lot of people. And I know from that standpoint, just because I have um, people I know that have been through that program, um, you know, it's like, you never, like you never drink ever again. It's like, 
done forever. So is your, is the silver school and maybe the the answers in the name, but is it the idea that like similar thing, like we're just not going to drink at all? Or is it like the people that go through that program or work with you, they might still have a drink at a wedding or some kind of social occasion, but yeah, that's a good question. And I get that a lot. Generally, well, the short answer is no. The people who work with me don't go back to drinking. I mean, they can do if they want to. And I always encourage people to to come, um, you know, if they come and take my course, I have this um, six-week course that guides people through early sobriety. And I say to them, just sign up and commit to these six weeks. And then at the end, we'll make a decision about what you want to do next. But What I say to them is at the end of the course, you've got two choices. It's either continue with sobriety, maybe set another short-term goal, or go back to where you were. And that's something that's quite particular to the women who come across my website, resonate with what I'm saying, take the course, that moderation doesn't work for them. I've had 1,500 people take my course and I have many more blog subscribers, and I'm yet to meet anyone who's learned how to moderate happily and successfully. So I'm not saying moderation doesn't work and that there aren't those people who can have, you know, the drink at the wedding or the odd party, but generally they aren't on my radar. They're not kind of coming into my space, if you like. That makes me ask another question. So the way you were talking about it, like you weren't at that quote unquote rock bottom, right? You were like in this other area, this gray area. So there's a difference between saying, you know, I'm an alcoholic or my drinking has become unhealthy for me, right? Can you differentiate those two, like the gray area and the rock bottom so that our listeners can kind of get a taste of both. Yeah, sure. So I think when most of us are really thinking about rock bottom alcoholics, um, what we're picturing and thinking about is someone who is physically addicted to alcohol. Now that may not always be the case, but I think most people would picture someone who's certainly drinking every day, drinking a lot, possibly drinking in the morning, that kind of really... Yeah, really heavy drinking, and someone who uh, you know may experience withdrawal symptoms if they stop drinking. That's that's not the the definition of an alcoholic, and varies depending on who you're speaking to, and you know, different people define it differently. But that's kind of the extreme end of the spectrum. And then I suppose at the other end, we've got people who maybe just get into the habit of drinking a bit too much. And they can take a month off and it kind of resets them. And then afterwards, they feel a lot better. Maybe they go back to drinking and kind of all is right. And then we have people like me and the women I end up working with who, I can't tell you how many times I took a month off drinking, only to then start drinking again and bam, I was straight back to where I was, still unable to stop at one or two, despite my best intentions still drinking more than I wanted to and it was making me unhappy, still waking up feeling hungover and just generally a bit ugh. So yeah, those are, that's kind of how I would define those different areas. I know like when I think of British drinking, 
like going to the pub, like, mm-hmm. you know, movie situations, like what I see in American movies. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, but I know in art, like in American culture, binge drinking, like is a bit, I think is more of a thing than in Europe. From what I understand from talking to people that live in Europe, do you see like a cultural difference between the way that Europeans drink and the way Americans drink? And if they like kind of fall on where they fall on the yeah, spectrum? Yeah, oh, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. So <laughs> Literally from movies. Like <laughs> I'm picturing people like cheersing and singing in a pub. Like that's probably not accurate um, <laughs> No, we have a real binge drinking problem in Britain. I mean, when I went to university, I think... Yeah, you, you learn the thing you're learning at university and get the degree and the, the exams. But the other thing you learn is how to drink and how to drink mm-hmm. in a short space of time. Yeah, so we are massive binge drinkers here. What I, because I actually work with a lot of ladies from the USA, about half of my clients are American. I don't know why. And what I find is, I think generally I, I get the impression it's not quite so acceptable to get really drunk in America as it is in the UK. Yeah. I feel like there's a diff... Okay, so here's my perception of American drinkers is in college, it's like the cool thing to do. Even at the end of high school, it's like you want to get drunk. Like I remember the first time I got drunk was not until my junior year of high school actually at like a New Year's Eve party but it was like the cool I didn't drink until college yeah Liz you I like (laughs) I brought you into drinking I think because she was my freshman year roommate she like was not about it I was like we're gonna go to a party and you're like I'm gonna stay in bed and then finally you came to the dark side but I feel like in college and the end of high school even like early high school now um it's cool to drink till you like throw up right and you're like that drunk and then it feels like early work days. It's like also the cool thing to do, but in a more sophisticated way. It's like you're networking, you're going out, I'm going to have some wine, maybe some champagne. Mm -hmm. And then you accidentally drink too much. And the next day you're like, I feel like crap, but it was fun. And then like now that I, I just turned 30 and Liz is 30, I feel like at this point, it's like, I don't really want to get drunk and I don't want to feel sick. And once in a while, if I go out and celebrate, it accidentally happens, but it's not, the cool thing anymore. I'm like, ugh, why did I do that? Yeah. So I don't know if that, that's just my perception of like drinking through the ages. Yeah. Well, I think it definitely changes as you yeah, get a bit older. And what I've noticed with people who've got kids is drinking almost kind of comes back around. So you become a mom and then there's all this pressure to kind of you know, uh, unwind at the end of the day with a a few glasses of wine and people, have you seen those fridge magnets that say things like the most expensive thing about having kids is all the wine you've got to drink. Mm -hmm. And people make all these jokes about, you know, drinking and motherhood. And yeah, I think there's like different levels of pressure. And perhaps it depends a bit on us and how resilient we are to all of that. And also how much how much of an appeal there is for drinking at different stages of life. Mm -hmm. So what do you say when someone's like, because I've tried this. I mean, I feel like this needs to be, I've actually never like in recent memory, I've actually tried to take a month off and I don't think I've made it a month before. And only because I'll be like, good, good, good. And then I'll go out with someone and I'll be like, I'm not, I'm not drinking 
And I get so much pressure from like, people are mad when you don't drink. If you're out with them and they're drinking and you're not like, even your closest friends will be like, don't be lame. Come on. And like, so I've never made it a full month because when I've actually committed and I've been like, I'm not going to, I always get like roped back in. So why do you think that is? And what can we do to a, like be strong through that if we're committed to switching to a sober lifestyle and B, what can we do on the flip side? You know, maybe we're not switching, maybe you're not, we're not making that switch, but we want to like not engage in that kind kind of of culture. Yeah. I can so relate to that. Um, That was very much my experience, especially towards the end of my drinking career where I kept trying to stop and then, yeah, kind of all that peer pressure was really hard. The thing I would say is that that how other people respond to you not drinking is all about them and not about you. So we all know that drinking alcohol is bad for us. We're getting study after study coming out saying that even moderate drinking is dangerous and all these horrible side effects. So I think we all know it's not a good thing to do, but there's camaraderie and safety in a group and in numbers. So when someone breaks away from the group and says, hey, actually, I'm not so comfortable doing this anymore, it it, it makes, it is quite scary and kind of worrying. And we want to kind of bully that person back into behaving like we've always known them to behave because that's what we expect for them. Why are they doing this thing differently? So That's the first thing to remember. This is all about other people and their beliefs about alcohol and perhaps their relationship and their concerns, however quiet or secret they might be about that. It's all about them. I recommend, first of all, that you think of what you're going to say to people in advance because there's nothing worse than being ambushed by somebody and not knowing what to say. So whether it's a, a lie, like... I'm I'm on antibiotics. I've got to be up really early in the morning. I'm training for a race. I'm on a diet. I'm driving. All that kind of stuff. Or my personal favorite is to kind of tell the truth if you can, just because it's easier, but to really own it with positivity. Because when you say something like, yeah, I'm taking this month off drinking. And do you know what? I thought I would hate it, but I'm actually really enjoying it. And I'm still really pleased to be here. And I want to see you all and hang out with you and have a good time. And yeah, I'm just loving this like hangover-free lifestyle. When you are insanely positive, even if you're lying about it, it makes it a lot harder for people to go, oh, come on, come on, be boring. Yeah. So that's what I would suggest. There's no easy way around it. And and I, I always feel slightly awful because once upon a time, I was that person who would know, oh, why aren't you drinking? And it was it all came from a place of, oh my God, please don't stop drinking because then I'm really going to worry about myself. 
Mm-hmm. I find that if I, um, so I still drink occasionally. I used to, right before I had my like big body breakdown, as I called it, because I'm a health coach. So I like deal with anxiety and all that stuff. I was drinking a couple glasses of wine a night after work and it wasn't anything that I thought was extreme. I, but I do remember really looking forward to those glasses of wine. Like, oh, oh I'm going to open some wine. I'm going to watch my TV. And, um, it was one of the reasons that my health, I think like, messes with your blood sugar and, you know, detoxing and I mean, so many things. But Mm. anyway, like now I don't drink as much and I feel like very confident when I go out, if I don't feel like it, I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to get a club soda or like, I'm just not feeling it. And I just don't make it a thing. And I don't know if my husband or some of the people hang out with just kind of know that too, but I don't, it seems a little bit easier or honestly, you could just go up to the bar and get a club soda with lemon in it and just not say anything at all. And people think you're drinking a vodka soda. So you can just like brush it under the rug if you really want to, if you feel like you're with people that are going to peer pressure you. Yeah. And what's always really interesting is how people behave when they think you're drinking, but you're not actually drinking. Like in that situation, they still think you're fun to be with. and, and So true. Yeah. But then the minute some of those people find out that you're not drinking, they have a problem with it. It's it's so weird. Alcohol is the only drug on the planet that you have to justify not taking. Uh, mm, that's never wrong. About that. Yeah. So my thoughts on all of this, and I know that you said the, the girls that go through your program don't drink again. But in my experience, when I'm dealing with women and we're doing like, I do a lot of stuff with gut reboots and taking things out of your diet, eliminating things, seeing how you feel. And alcohol happens to be one of those things. I struggle with like the black and white mentality of like, this is good, this is bad and restriction. So for some of our listeners that maybe are on the same wavelength as me, like I ch- I'm choosing not to drink, but once in a while, like this past weekend was my birthday. I really enjoyed having a mimosa at brunch. And then I went and had a Tito's and soda with my friends. And that actually felt really good to me. And I didn't feel bad the next day. And I felt really, it was a, a aligned choice that I made to drink on my birthday. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for those women that are at that space where they feel good about their choices? And I don't know. Any advice for if they want to dabble in it a little bit? Or are you like, I don't know if that's a great idea. I guess my train of thought is, so I really hear I really hear you and the kind of situation that you're describing there. And you remind me of one of my friends who, who drinks in just the same way as you. Mm-hmm. Not very often, um, not very much, but, you know, feels feels fine when she does. And I always think, you know, if you can drink in that way and it makes you feel good and it enhances your life, then all power to you, go for that. But I think if someone is regularly drinking more than they intend to and that behavior is making them feel miserable. Yes, that's the big difference. Yeah, that is the big difference. And that's the time to perhaps start by, yeah, by cutting down, by having more alcohol-free days each week, by being really mindful about why you're drinking and what what is it, what is it that you really want or need when you're reaching that mm. glass. But yeah, as I said before, the, the people who I tend to work with they have been through that process quite a long time ago and they've progressed to creating lots of rules in an attempt to try and manage their drinking. Maybe, you know, only drinking after a certain time or drinking low alcohol wine and 
only drinking with certain people, all that kind of stuff in, a, in an attempt to like manage this uncontrollable thing. So yeah, I, I think I, I hear what you're saying about someone who isn't quite as far along the spectrum. But yeah, yeah, if you can, if you can drink and it feels good to you, then go for it. I'm curious about the women that you've, so you kind of alluded to in your early days, you know, when you first kind of started out drinking, it was a lot of wanting to kind of be the person you knew you were on the inside. It was breaking down the inhibitions, making you a more confident person. How have you seen your clients change from like that version of confidence when they were using a substance to kind of get them there to what happens afterwards when they've transitioned to being yeah, sober? Yeah, it's really interesting. One thing I've noticed in a lot of people, including myself, is that we get this story in our head when we're in those teenage years and we're relying on alcohol as a crutch to see us through those awkward situations. We get this story that oh my goodness, I can only I can only survive a party when I'm drinking or I can only network with strangers when I'm um, drinking cocktails. And we keep hold of that story from maybe 17, 18, all the way into our 30s or beyond. And we forget that during that time, we're going to get older and naturally more confident and more capable at socializing anyway. So what I've seen a lot of people do is they're holding on to this story about themselves that isn't actually true. And yes, and so it's it's really scary the first time you go to that party or that challenging event and you haven't got your comfort blanket there. You haven't got that alcohol that you're accustomed to having. But nine times out of 10, you really surprise yourself with what you are capable of doing. And The good thing I think about stopping drinking and having to overcome the challenges that come with that is that it kind of, you have to be a bit of a rebel in a way. Drinking is the norm. Everyone, you know, most people drink. So yeah, to be truly rebellious, I think, is to not conform with that and to go against the grain. And once you've done it once with one thing, then who knows where that might lead you. This reminds me of everything within wellness that I feel like we talk about with so many of our guests, whether it be alcohol or dieting, food, anxiety, whatever it is, it's like we use it as our security blanket. Mm -hmm. And when, and it's hard, like it's really, really hard to drop those habits, but you're so right. It always is some sort of negative story and belief about ourselves that we're holding on to. And it's super fearful, I'm sure, to like take the alcohol away. I feel awkward as a habit talking, like even on the podcast, Liz, you might notice I always have a drink with me. When I'm out, I always, like I have to have something, whether it be water, club soda, like I feel like I can't be just there without something in my hand. So I like have to replace it. And I wonder still like, where does that come from? Like, even though it's not alcohol for me anymore, it's like, I have to like be able to sip something when I'm talking to people. It's really weird. No, I totally, I still have the same thing. And for me, it's, I think it's nerves. I want something to do with my hands. And so holding a drink helps. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So when, with your program, you said it's a six week program. Do they, do the ladies learn like in small steps, like how to start reducing it? How does that work? Yeah. So I, 
everyone starts a course on the same day. So I get this big group of women together and they all have their day one on the same day. So people who sign up need to be ready to take that break for six weeks. Mm. We don't do a gradual kind of tapering off. I mean, obviously, I do sometimes get approached by people who are not able to just stop drinking overnight. They may need medical assistance or whatever. So, you know, they have to kind of go off and do that. But everyone who works with me is physically able to stop drinking, but they just can't sustain it normally past a week or Mm. two weeks. So yeah, we all start the day one on the same day. And then the six-week course guides them through a mixture of kind of practical stuff for learning how to deal with your emotions and all the stuff that we drink over. There's a combination of that and also really scrutinizing every single benefit that we think alcohol gives us and analyzing whether it does that or not. Mm. And, And that's really at the heart of it, I think. Because if you truly, truly believe that alcohol is helping you cope with stress and someone comes along and shows you that actually it's doing the opposite, that can really help you let go of something and not feel too deprived. I mean, scientifically, that's absolutely true. Like when you're drinking alcohol, it puts more of a stressor on your body. And when I am working with women on um, hormone balance and gut health and anxiety, I I always highly encourage them. Like you think the alcohol is helping you de-stress, but really it's, it's definitely causing a lot of work on your liver and and detoxing excess hormones and your gut bacteria gets all out of balance. And there's so many reasons why, like you said, it's, it's just stressing out your body more. But what do you say to somebody that's like, but I love it, but I love my glass of wine. Like I hear what you're saying, but I do have two kids and it's the one thing I look forward to every night. It makes me really happy. Like, what do you say to somebody that comes to you with that? Yeah. Um, so I would say to them, Okay, let's let's look at like what's making you really happy in that situation. Is it the taste? Because if it's the taste, we can look at some alcohol-free wines, like the alcohol-free market's absolutely booming. I can send you a list if you want of um, to try. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it the taste or is it that actually you are giving yourself you a bit a moment you know some self-care at the end I feel like that's usually it (laughs) I think that's it yeah but (laughs) we live in a in a world in a booze obsessed culture where this drugs romanticized and glamorized and so often wine equals self-care you know that's that's how we're training ourselves to see it whereas actually the self-care is in the the fact that you are letting yourself watch TV and not worry about all the other so stuff true. you've got to do. You're no longer looking after the kids. Or maybe you are sitting down and actually having a drink with your partner and it's the first time all day you've really connected and talked through your day. So that's the stuff that's genuinely making you happy. And you can do all of that regardless of what's in your glass. That's mm-hmm. the kind of conversation I'd have. Mm. That's really interesting because it's easy, I think, to view, I don't know why we as humans get so attached to the object instead of the situation in that scenario. Like I'm putting myself in those shoes and I'm like, yeah, I've been like, I like having a beer with my husband, but it's really, I just like 
spending time with my husband, we happen to drink beer. Mm-hmm. That I realized because my husband, and he knows this, he loves to drink. Like he loves to drink beer. And we've actually gotten into some fights about it. I'm like, you drink way too much. And I remember um, when it's summertime, I like, what do you want to do? Like we live in the city now. And the only thing that sounds fun is like, let's go sit on a patio and have some drinks. Because that's such a summery thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started to realize like, I don't actually want, to drink. I just want to go sit on a patio and eat food with you and like have a beverage. And so then it would work out well because he would have a beer and then I would have a club soda and then we'd still be bonding. I'm like, but what if like, can we both just go and get club sodas and like maybe share an appetizer? Like I started to have those same thoughts about what it is, but I think there are seasons like summer equals drinking, right? It's like, let's go to a concert and let's drink. Let's sit on a patio or whatever. Do you have any advice for women that are like, it seems to go in ebbs and flows for me, like summer or holidays or birthdays. What do you tell them then? Yeah. Well, I think with many of those um, things you just highlighted, we're talking about special events. And again, we are trained to think that for a special event, you've got to have a special drink. So mm. you know, the, the cocktails on holiday or the champagne to mark a special occasion. But really, it's just down to association. You know, when we, if we look at kids, for example, they don't have to drink in order to have a great time on holiday or to celebrate their birthday or to enjoy a concert. It is all about the association and you can train yourself to, 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 to you know, to, to stop feeling that and to, and to, and to go into something else. I mean, I, in sobriety, my favorite drink ever is grapefruit juice mixed with tonic water, as in what, you, what you'd have in a gin and tonic. I love this drink. And when I came home the other day, we were all out of both, both things, no grapefruit juice, no tonic. And I was like, what? What? How is, so mad, how is yeah. Happened? I'm so mad. And and then I just had to like stop and laugh at myself and think, wow, I'm kind of behaving here a bit like I used to when I came home and there wasn't any wine in the fridge. Like I've so yeah. trained myself into, you know, into enjoying that drink instead. So yeah, we can slip in and out of these habits. So what this is reminding me is of something I guess I've been doing and I didn't realize it is I found all the replacement beverages. So now I get pissed if there's not LaCroix in my fridge because I yes. realize I just like the bubbly. <laughs> me. Like I like to have something bubbly that I can sip on. And I'm just a sipper anyway. Like I was always kind of a sipper when it came to drinks. Like I would have one wine that I'd sip on for a while, relax. Now it's like I'll have a tea. Or before bed, I realized having a cup of... Um, there's this drink called Magnesium Calm and it's really great for you because our body is usually deficient in magnesium. So before bed, I feel like, oh, I'm calming my body, but I'm using magnesium, which is a nutrient that my body needs. Or I'll have a chai tea um, what's it called? A turmeric latte. Cause I know turmeric is anti-inflammatory and it helps to calm my body or a chamomile tea. So there's other drinks I feel like I've chosen to replace it with. And I didn't even consciously do it on purpose. I was just like, Oh, I'm going to have my tea and read my book and I'm going to calm for the night. Yeah. That's so lovely. that's another way to think about it. Yeah. And I think it's, that's actually really, really important because just cause you're not drinking, it doesn't mean you should be resigned to drinking water or, you know, Coca-Cola. Um, yeah. <laughs> there are way more exciting and lovely and healthy drinks out there if you want to explore that too. 
Yeah. I'm curious for anyone that, so I actually, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on there. It was actually a documentary and it was in Britain that they filmed it about like the health benefits, the supposed health benefits of alcohol and how like actually, I think the conclusion that this documentary came to, which I don't know, I can't cite any scientific Mm -hmm. source, of course, was that basically like no drinks. I mean, like it's toxic for your body. Like no amount is really good for your body. What do you say? I'm just curious if anyone's like, but that glass of red wine and antioxidants. And like, I know the, the one glass of red wine gets a lot of like, yeah. the Italians. hoping you live forever. I know. <laughs> yeah. The so, Italians um, love their glass of red. Yeah. I'm curious if you like have heard any like studies on yeah, that. Yeah, no, I'm really happy to speak to that because for me and um, for many others, that idea that actually red wine might be good for you, it's so irresistible. But yeah, in the UK, um, the official government advice now, and I don't know what it's like in other countries, official government advice is that there is no safe level of drinking. So with every drink, you increase your risk of cancer. It's just a question of, by how much, according to how much you're drinking. Now, there have been some, there's been many, many studies into this health benefit argument. And I think there is a very, very small um, benefit for heart health in women aged between 40 and mid 50s. But so specific. It's incredibly specific. <laughs> Which we don't fall into. We're not in that age bracket yet. So we don't even get not that yet. health benefit. Yeah, not only are we not in that bracket, but the test was showing you have to drink a really small amount. We're talking less than one glass a day. So any more than that, and all the other side effects of drinking and the dangers of that will, will cancel out the health benefits. So that's why the you know official advice now is that there, there isn't any benefits to doing that. And what I always find interesting when people go on about all the antioxidants in red wine is that if I turned around to you and said, hey, I eat a lot of chocolate because you know it's got calcium in it, you would say to me, Come on, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. You want the calcium, go drink milk. But it it seems bizarre to me that that kind of logic escapes us when we're talking about alcohol. Um, So yeah, if you really, really care about antioxidants, there are many other foods you can eat. I think blueberries are packed with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Grapes, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just have fruit. Yeah. (laughs) And it's natural on... Alcohol, alcohol state. I know. Yeah, that is very funny to think about. Like, there's so many other things that we can argue for <laughs> the health benefits of like regular yeah. whole foods. I, yeah. I never, I never noticed how much we were defending alcohol. Totally. Like, that seems like such a subtle, like, I've heard it so many times, doesn't even register as being like a thing at all. I mean, and I feel like a lot of, a lot of things we've talked about in this episode, like, the American and British and like all sorts of people are just justifying drinking and make, and really are romanticizing, Mm -hmm. you know? I don't know if you've ever seen any of those old um, smoking adverts from like maybe the 40s, 50s, through to the 80s. 
The really, really mm-hmm. old ones have things like doctor recommended and oh my god, ladies, this will help you slim down <laughs> if you smoke these cigarettes. Oh, it- I think they actually do because like the nicotine stimulates. Because <laughs> you don't eat. Yeah, and then you're not, not about the healthy way to do anything. I'm just saying. I know like some of my friends who were smokers was like, yeah, well, curb my appetite. And I'm like, I don't know if that's the healthiest way to curb your appetite. Well, not a fair trade-off. Definitely not the healthiest way, but <laughs> it's just incredible to no. think that that's the kind of, those are the conversations we were having about smoking not that long ago. And when I, you know, I'm 35, when I was at school, smoking was still quite cool. But look at how far we've come with smoking now. Yeah. We would never, I can't, I, I would never be pressured into smoking now. If I started smoking tomorrow, my friends would say, what are you doing? That's so bad for you. You know, we've gone full circle with that drug. And I feel as if with alcohol, yeah, we've still got a long way to go. That's why we're still stuck in all these stories about, oh, are there any health benefits? Oh, is it still cool? Is it this and that? Mm. But, you know, in 30, 40, hey, maybe 50 years time, where will we be with alcohol? I don't know. I, I really think our relationship with it will change. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I struggle too a little bit with like the cultural aspect of alcohol because being Italian and like having my parents both born in Italy, all of that, um, like one of the things that my family does every year is they make their own red wine. And it's like this very cultural, like get the grapes and like they have the big stick and they make the wine and we all taste the wine. And so sometimes I struggle with that too. Like there's like a celebratory, like we talked about this earlier. Do you have any words of wisdom to sort of how alcohol has developed throughout the ages and how how many years ago it was like purely this celebratory act. I don't know if where the question is in there, but just to talk to that subject. Yeah. Well, what that made me think of is the way that wine is made sounds quite cute and nice. <laughs> yes. But obviously 99% of wines on the market today aren't made in that way at all. They, they've got more to do with a you know, a lab than a, like a kind of dappled vineyard with. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really, uh, yeah, you know, no one's ever asked me, how do I deal with winemaking in my family? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure that's a hard, I just, it makes me think about like when we're, again, I relate these things a lot to food since that's my wheelhouse, but with food and like intuitive eating, it reminds me of when you go and you celebrate with family, there's like specific things that have been passed down, like your grandma's pizzelles or like eating the gnocchi. And those things have like seemed to be very special. And so sometimes I wonder if there's a balance between those, like if alcohol finds its way into that world too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it can be awkward if you've got those traditions, you know, maybe you always, you know, drink a certain thing with your family at at Christmas or at other events or whatever. Yeah, breaking those kind of traditions can be hard. But again, it's about looking at what's really going on there. That's true. You know, you've got this Thing that brings you together as a family, but really it's about the time you're spending with one another and this kind of, hey, we're doing this thing, we're, you know, we're kind of bonding with each other and spending this quality time together. And whilst it might be awkward to be the different person, your family like adjusts to it massively quickly. Like for my family, we always used to drink a glass of champagne on Christmas Day kind of about 11, 
11 midday, quite early. And it was, it was the thing. As soon as the presents were opened, uh, champagne came out. And it was really awkward the first year that I was not drinking. And my dad said to me, what, you're not even going to have the champagne? It was just Christmas day. Like, like he thought that um, mm. that would be a different day, different rules or something. And yeah, I'm not going to lie. It did make me feel a bit awkward, but that was like the first time. The next year it happened, I wasn't even offered the champagne. They just got me the drink I'd requested instead. Mm. And this year, I didn't even think about it. And I still mm-hmm. felt as much a part of our family and I still had that good time. Well, as good as you can with you your massive family at Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? It's, it, um, mm-hmm. it's that initial change that's the hardest. Mm-hmm. I think it goes back to what you were talking about with some of your clients where they set, they started by setting certain rules and that seems like a good first one to set. Like, oh, I'll only, I'll only do the celebratory Christmas drink. Like that's all I'm doing. And then it becomes like, okay, well I'll do also the new year's one. And then like, so if you're committed to living that lifestyle and you justify, I can see where that would be kind of like, you can start easily going down that path. And Nina, I know, you know, I thought about this later after you're talking about food and restriction. And we talk a lot about on the, about that on the podcast, like intuitive eating. And I think the difference is like your body needs food. So I think to be black and white and food is hard because your body literally needs it for nourishment. It gets things from it. Whereas alcohol, like it's a toxin Mm -hmm. really. I mean, it's so your body doesn't need, you know, it's not like you're, if if you decide to go that route and cut it out, it's not like it's something that your body would be getting benefit from. So yeah, that's a good way to think about it when it comes to that. And like, yeah, your body doesn't need it anyway. So it's not like you're depriving yourself of something important. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. No, absolutely. I wonder if if coffee will ever get to the <laughs> to the point because that's kind of like when we talk about like socially acceptable drugs, sometimes I'm like yeah. caffeine, like <laughs> and there's I feel like there's equally as many things like about like I have actually have a shirt that says no talkie before coffee that I like proudly purchased and was like, this is accurate. So I wonder if That's like down the point. line, we'll have similar, similar stuff with yeah, that one too. I know I could <laughs> see that. I think before we get to caffeine though, we'll have to tackle our social media addiction. I think that's the next big one. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. Yeah. We actually, Liz, that's a great topic of conversation we should probably have with someone soon is like, addicted to social media, like dot, dot, dot help. Like that's something that would be great. Well, again, again, it's, I mean, it's in the name, socially acceptable social media. Like it's something that, I mean, even like, you know, our respective businesses were like, we have to be on Instagram. Like you you have Mm -hmm. to, you have to have. Yeah, exactly. You have to (laughs) be on social, but it is true. Like, what are we, so I've caught myself today specifically. Um, I've had a lot of time where I've just been working on my own. And when I get distracted with writing a blog or whatever I'm working on, what do I do? I grab my phone and start scrolling. And so it's the same thing as the glass of wine or when you're reaching for the sugary, whatever you're reaching for, it's like, why are you doing that? And what is it covering up? Mm -hmm. And what do you actually have to dig deep and figure out? Mm -hmm. For me, it's just like, I don't know. I just want a distraction, really. <laughs> yeah. See, mm-hmm. I notice that with myself. If I'm doing something that I'm finding hard and I can't think what to do, I just think, oh, I'll just get that release of going on Instagram. Yeah, same. Yeah, just five minutes mm-hmm. and then, you know, half an hour later, still there. <laughs> 
I know, right? All of these things are so related, which is why I love doing this podcast so much because I feel like it all comes down to really like self-love and self-acceptance and um, working through your your secret demons that we don't really want to work through very often. Oh my gosh. I absolutely agree. I think if we could just all do a bit of that and if we were slightly better at sitting with our emotions and dealing with our feelings, well, the world would be a happier place. Mm-hmm. And I think we're getting there. Certainly. I think like the more that we have conversations like this and the more I dive into this world of wellness, the more confident I feel that we are getting to a place where emotions matter again and not just putting things and burying them inside. So yeah. thank you so much for having this conversation with us. Thank you for having me on. It's been great to talk to you about all this. Yeah, for listeners that might want to um, learn about your course or learn about the Silver School or find you anywhere online, um, where would you recommend they come check me out? Um, Well, the best place is over at thesoberschool.com. I write a blog nearly every week and I've got a couple of free guides on there if you want some tips on how to survive wine o'clock and that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And yeah, there's also details about um, my program, which runs every couple of months. And so the next one's going to be in April. But yeah, if you want to go on social media really quickly, not spending much time on that, obviously, (laughs) I am also um, at The Sober School on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I can't wait for our listeners to keep following along with you and that we can just keep encouraging people to have this conversation about alcohol and all of these other things that we use to kind of cover up bigger issues. So yes, this has been great. Love it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you to Kate for coming on and having such an open conversation with us about something that's still very socially acceptable. And if this is something that you have been wanting some guidance on and you're not really feeling like alcohol is the right thing for you and in your life anymore, we highly recommend you check her out and check out her latest launch of her program, which will be coming in April. Awesome. Well, thanks, yes, again to Kate for joining us. A reminder to you all that you can find us separately on Instagram. Of course, we hope you will follow us at Finding Your Shine Podcast, which is where you can see both of our happenings. But if you're interested in the other parts of our lives and things we are doing, you can follow at Nourish with Nina and learn all about holistic health. And you can learn all about money mindset and things I'm doing at Liz Garst. All right. Well, we can't wait to keep up with you on Instagram and also in your headphones with a new episode next week. Bye.